that's it, Nick. We got David on the, the call with us. Who do you want to ask him? How did you grow bigger for your next one? What steps do you take to get to that next level? Uh, we have a unique approach to growth. Uh, our approach to growth is don't grow too fast, <laughs> which may be counter to what many people think. Again, I, I want to be very measured about the things we do, right? So it's not a all linear, let's double and double and double the number of units. I would say you want to make sure that when you grow, you have the right people on your team to take on the growth. If that is investor relations, right? Maybe when your first deal, you have, like you said, eight people, maybe you can communicate with those people, right? But if you grow that to, I don't know, 30 or 40 people, you may have a lot more questions to answer, right? You want to make sure that you grow in a very thoughtful manner. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. Uh, very excited for today's show. It's another Ask the Expert episode. Uh, two great people on, on the line with us today. We got uh, David Kamara and Nick Harridan. So uh, first of all, David, you know, coming on as our experienced investor today, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Brian. Great to be yeah. here. And incidentally, it was good seeing you in person. You know, I know it's been two months, but uh, it's it's always good when you can you know see someone in person that uh, you you see over Zoom so many times. But uh, I was happy to be able to see you again. Yeah, no, it's good to see you again, and good to uh, good to be at uh, the conference in Dallas where we were in person. It was yeah. Awesome. It was- it was fun. It was good. Good. That was the first uh, post-COVID conference for me, um, and it was good to you know be back in the same room with a lot of people. So, anyway, that said, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I was born in Ukraine, um, former Soviet Union, and uh, my dad was studying there as uh, he he started as like a medical technician, but my mom kept him there until he got his PhD in medicine. Uh, my dad's from West Africa, and when he finished his studies, we moved back to West Africa, Sierra Leone, and actually. I remember as a teenager, one of my first experience with uh, the U.S. military was uh, mm-hmm. some of the, the guys that were stationed down there because we have beautiful beaches. And um, I remember these guys just throwing around this weird looking ball. I'm like, what is that thing? <laughs> it was American football. But I talked to some of those guys and I know you guys have a, I know you, your show has a big military audience, yep. but um, it was kind of cool to hear, you know, like younger, late teenagers, early 20s guys just deploying and seeing the world and traveling and being in various places. Yep. That was pretty cool. Uh, it was years later, we had a military coup and one of my best friends actually got evacuated by the US Marines because they had the green card. So shortly after that incident is when I ended up coming to the US and I really mm-hmm. came to Michigan because of my friend who ended up living in Michigan. Mm-hmm. We have a big Lebanese community in Sierra Leone, and uh, there's a big Lebanese community in Michigan. That's how I ended up in Michigan. Nice, nice. So, so Ukraine to Sierra Leone to Michigan. I, I say that's that's probably a unique path. I don't think I've heard anybody else with with a similar similar background. So, um, so you, you landed in Michigan. What what then? Yeah. So my dad, like I mentioned, is a medical doctor, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the goal was, you know, you grow up in a in a developing country. And really the way to be successful is through professional education, right? So our parents kind of like always 
instill in you, you need to go be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer of some sort. Um, I had also had the added kind of opportunity to see my dad do surgeries. We had a clinic in our house and mm-hmm. I actually performed appendectomies with my dad. It's very different setup, right? There's not a lot of doctors per population. Yep. Um, and so I did appendectomies. My dad made sure I didn't cut any of the wrong parts in people. Um, there's no there's no litigation. There's no insurance. Uh, people come in and say, hey, here's a couple of chickens or here's a bag of mangoes. So yep. I really wanted to come and be a, a medical doctor. But when I got here, um, again, it was right after a military coup. I came to the U.S. with a thousand bucks, which my parents actually had to borrow. Um, I very quickly realized that I couldn't go to med school because I didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next best thing that I was good at was math. So I ended up settling for computer science. So transferred to the University of Michigan from community college, mm-hmm. uh, graduate computer science, worked in Chicago in computer science uh, for a, a company that was, had a really good management development program. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot there. They paid for business school, ended up being a management consultant, traveled a bunch, and uh, finally realized that I'm not seeing my family as much as I need to be. And that's kind of what led to a pause where we had to, my wife and I basically evaluated and yeah. said, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people hit the same point, you know, for, for different reasons. You know, I, I hit that spot, you know, when I was, you know, on a big ship in the, somewhere in the Middle East, right? And being away from your family and just realize I got to do something different. You know, I've got to do something different or I'm going to keep on having this experience. I'm going to keep on being away from my family. So, so you, you, you caught that, you, 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 you had that moment and you decided, did it, did you originally decide multifamily or did you do, you know, something else first? So we, we, we got into single family earlier. So when we moved to Chicago, my wife and I rented for a year, right? Kind of did the big city living. And then we said, why are we paying all this money in, in rent? Like uh, we could probably own something with very much a similar payment as we're, as we're renting for. So we, we bought our first house. And frankly, that experience was when I get very excited, right? Because again, growing up outside the United States, you, you never really appreciate leverage because it doesn't typically exist. You, you right. kinda, you buy anything, you buy it in cash. And so this was a period where I was like, wait, you can put down 5% and you can buy a house. <laughs> Do I really own this house or am I just borrowing the house? Like what's yeah. going on? So I got very excited at that point and I asked my wife, like, hey, we need to buy at least one more house and see if we can rent it. So actually that was 2006 is when we bought our first duplex. Mm-hmm. So did that. And of course, then life happened and we didn't really have a lot of money coming in. Uh, kids happened. Um, but by the time I got into consulting, we had, I think, five or six units mm-hmm. and the properties were working, right? So they had cash flow, but they just weren't enough to move the needle. So we had, you know, five, six, $700 a month coming in. Um, it was nice, but it wasn't something we could contemplate. Not life-changing. Exactly. Yep. So when I had worked for management consulting companies, which is a very exciting career and pays really well, um, I left that and started my own management consulting firm and was fortunate enough to have some really good clients that stuck with me and said, we don't really care the, the letterhead on the, on the deliverable that you submit. We love your work. Um, so then we were fortunate enough to make some money. We used that, put a bunch of money into our house. And mm-hmm. that's when my daughter asked me, hey, dad, are you going to work tomorrow? Which was Sunday, Monday, Monday is when I typically ship out, right? I'm yep. shipping out, not for as long as your deployments were, Brian, but um, no. Monday out, Thursday night I'm home or Wednesday night I'm home if I'm lucky. 
mm-hmm. nonetheless, right, I missed a bunch of activities, right? I missed things oh, yeah. that I didn't want to miss. And so, I mean, at that point, my wife and I, I went and talked to him like, hey, this is it's a really good question. Like, what's the point here, right? Yes, I'm no longer working for anyone. I'm working for myself. We have our own firm, but I'm still traveling a lot. So we have this kind of sideshow thing going with the real estate apartments that we know works. It's just not significant enough. How do we, how do we make that a bigger part of, of what we have so that I can get, that was the, the aha moment for us. And then, I mean, in true kind of consulting fashion, we discussed it and I said, I could probably figure this out, right? We bought a few smaller apartments. We probably could buy bigger ones, but it made sense to go get a mentor to make this mm-hmm. pro- the, the, the process get accelerated because at that point we had the funds um, we knew that we could go buy something. And truly, if you think about it, right, the mistakes you can make in multifamily are much larger because the numbers are just yeah. larger. Yeah. And so we said, let's get some mentorship and let's let's do some things and get some advice. Yeah. And that, that's something that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people look at, you know, multifamily as, as being able to scale. Absolutely. You know, the the profit scale, the numbers scale, you know, a lot of things scale with it, but you, you bring up a good point the risk also scales, you know, the mistakes also scale, you know, now if you make a mistake, you know, you've got a zero or two zeros added to the end of the property value and, you know, the mistakes, the dollar value of the mistakes scale as well. So, you know, I, I think you, you did what a lot of people do is you, you go find a mentor, you know, and uh, a lot of people are, you know, fortunate enough to find a mentor that can just take them under their wing and, and work out, um, you know, people like you and me, we, Pay for mentorship, you know, and it uh, it works as well. Um, but anyway, so tell tell us a little bit about that, and tell us about how that uh, that helped you. Yeah, so I the, at this period I was um, I was working a lot of projects in remote areas, and uh, to pass the time, I basically would listen to podcasts and, and register for runs. So I was doing all kinds of marathons and long distance runs, um, and so I started listening to a podcast on apartment investing. The, I connected with uh, the, the host and a lot of this stuff made sense. Um, and that, it did help a bit that his background was somewhat similar. He had a tech background. I had a tech background. So I went to one of the conferences and right there, I met another gentleman who I had heard on a different podcast who happened to be from Michigan. Um, and then we basically agreed that uh, I, I would like to work with him as a mentor. And that that that's where that took off. I think it was for me, I mean, there's all kinds of different mentorship programs out there. What I was looking for specifically was someone who had been in the shoes that I'm about to step into and who could answer specific questions about things that I'd be needing answered, right? I didn't want like a group setting where I had to wait my turn and raise my hand and see if somebody else had similar questions. I really was at the place where mentally I knew I was ready to go. And then financially, my wife and I knew we were ready to go. We discussed for the first deal, we're going to take in a massive like home equity on credit out of our house. Um, and just do it and see how that went. And then further, we knew we had some other funds lined up that we could use as well. Yeah. So um, that first year, essentially, we did four deals. We bought about 180 units all for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it really took off from there. Nice, nice. Yeah. And incidentally, uh, if if I if I remember right, you are now a coach in the same mentorship program, correct? Okay. Yeah, that's all correct. Right. So I... Yeah. I I went through the Michael Blank coaching program and then just over a year or a year and a half ago, they reached out and said, Hey, would you mind coaching for us? Or would you, would you have time to? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I, I love doing because 
it keeps you sharp, right? If you have mm-hmm. to explain these concepts for people that were in your shoes. Um, I mean, the more people you speak to, the more questions you get that you haven't thought of, right? All of these individuals are pretty sharp and have good questions. Um, so I feel like I am learning as I'm, as I'm teaching. Um, the other reason I like it too is like I now I'm looking at areas of the country or markets that I wouldn't have otherwise been looking at. Yeah. And from that perspective, it's pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And uh, incidentally, you know, when I was going through the coaching program, we, we partnered with, you know, one of our coaches on our, our first deal as well. So I'd imagine it brings some partnership opportunities for you as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think um, definitely partner with the students on at least a deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like you have to make sure that the individuals, the, the personalities make sense and you mesh. And also the deal has to be a deal you yeah. believe in or in a, in a market you care about. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people, you know, we, we had a lot of people reach out to us and ask if we'll, we'll partner, we'll come in as an experienced partners on deals. And I have two simple criteria, you know, very simple. We got to like the people, we got to like the deal. You know, that's, that's 100% our criteria. And it sounds like exactly the same thing you're saying. You got to like the group, get along with them. And you got to like the deal that's coming across your desk. Otherwise it's not going to make sense. So, yep. but uh, cool, cool. So one question I'd like to ask everybody, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, if you can talk specifically about this, what is your big burning why? Yeah. So for me, it's uh, unequivocally being able to spend more time with people I care about, people I love. And for me, that's my wife, my kids. I have four girls, four daughters, um, my parents. Uh, I'm fortunate to have both my parents around still. And I mean, this is a time when, you know, our parents are getting older. If we can spend more time that is meaningful time when they're still healthy and able to go places with us, uh, that's, that's a great blessing. So for me, it's really spending time with people that I love to spend time with. Um, I think a secondary one is just to be more in control of your time, right? I think there is this kind of maybe perception of, oh, when when you've kind of achieved quote unquote financial freedom, you can just sit on the beach and do nothing. Mm-hmm. I think you'll find in reality, right? Very few people are interested in that. I mean, sure, vacations yeah. are fun, but I mean, most of us are, I would say, kind of challenged intellectually and, and kind of curious individuals. And yeah. I mean, if, if that means having more time to go volunteer in your favorite charity or, or non-governmental organization, or even going to start a business or teaching, I mean, all of those things are, are great things. Um, for me, one of the ways that we found ways to give back is to um, contribute to kind of development progress in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. It continues to be a country that's very underdeveloped, and my dad still lives there. So we were able to build a clinic in a very rural area my dad nice. is from. Um, and kind of support that as, as things continue. So it's just, it's been, it's allowed us to do things that we feel meaningful. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. And go back to your roots as well, you know, so help, help your family out, help your old community out and, and everything else. So does, does your dad still practice medicine? My dad does still practice medicine. He's mm-hmm. actually here uh, for a month. His mm-hmm. philosophy is doctors, especially in developing countries, never retire. They just keep on working. Yeah. That's his retirement plan. And I mean, he's like, he literally just does it because he, he enjoys doing it. And I mean, there's not a lot of doctors there, period. So yeah. um, they don't really care what kind of doctor you are. They bring you anything, right? If if their ear hurts or if it's, a, I mean, there's very few specialists, right? They bring surgeries to him. They bring mm-hmm. infectious disease cases to him, amputations or whatever. It's like, you're a doctor. We don't care if you're 
yeah. um, OBGYN or whatever you're, you're a doctor. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And I mean, talk, talk about good causes. You know, one, one cause that I've really liked is the uh, doctors without borders. You know, it's, it's same concept, a lot of developing nations, you know, and you mentioned it yourself, you know, the number of doctors per capita are extremely low in a lot of developing nations. So uh, that, that's one of the charities that I've, you know, followed and donated to in the, in the past as well. You know, you're, you're having a more specific impact on, on your community where you came from, um, but I think there, there's a lot of good charitable organizations that can help out too. So, no, but specifically um, to that one, I've actually supported that one too, especially as I mentioned, I've been running a bunch of races. Um, so, with some of these marathons, you can register to support a particular organization. And Medsasa from here, Doctor Without Borders, by all means, is a big one. And I mean, we had we had the Ebola crisis in Sierra Leone just five, six yep. years ago. Um, and they did a ton of good work there, which I mean, is super commendable. These are yeah. people. Frankly, you, you can't put a price on what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Way. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I like doing as well, you know, giving back, but there's, there's many different ways, many different good organizations, you know, that's one of, of many, but uh, um, that's it. Let, let's talk a little bit in detail about, you know, one of the deals that you guys did, you know, pick, pick your first, pick your most recent, pick your favorite and tell us a little bit about it. Sure. I guess I'll talk about one of the deals we closed this year. Uh, we closed a 124-unit deal in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. This one closed in March. Um, it, it's, an, it's a unique deal for a couple of reasons. Um, it took a very long time to close. Uh, this was a deal that first came on the market late 2019. We looked at it. I, I said, hey, this place is just really far away, right? So I'm in lower Michigan. I'm closer to Detroit. I live in Ann Arbor, University of Michigan, big house. And this, uh, the deal is in Marquette, which is Northern Michigan University, Upper Peninsula, Lake Superior. It's about a seven and a half hour drive for me. It's still in Michigan. I, th- I think I can get to like Kentucky or so going the other direction. <laughs> of time. Um, now drive and ferry, right? I mean, there, there's a. This is just so, driving. You go straight out, yeah. you cross the bridge, and then you, you go across towards Wisconsin. Okay. Um, no ferry. You, you can take that way, but not, not necessary. It's not really direct. So I, I told my broker, I said, listen, I, I think I'll pass on this deal. Um, it's kind of a remote area. It's not a place I necessarily know very well. Um, I think a month passed by and my broker came back and said, hey, um, I've been up there toward this deal. It's a really good deal. You should take a look at it. It's similar to other deals you've looked at. So I said, okay, fine. Let's look at the numbers. Really looked at the numbers. I mean, it was a very interesting deal. So the owner had been up there, had put a lot of CapEx into it did all of the siding, all of the windows, all of the roofs. So it looked really, really well maintained. Um, and then for whatever reason, I think um, I think some deals sold up there and owners started seeing the kind of values they could get for their deals. So I think he, the owner was in his late 50s, early 60s. And he said, you know what, I could probably sell this and move to warmer climes. Later mm-hmm. as we were speaking, he said, I- I've lived up here forever. I-, I love swimming in Lake Superior. But it's like in July, Lake Superior water temperature is like, 58. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, um, I love swimming in the Gulf in, in Florida and the temperature is like 88, right? Or 70. It's much nicer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, so it's like, I think that's, that kind of pushed it over the edge. And we said, even though we had spent on this property as though we wanted to own it for the next 20 years, we thought better of it. So long, long mm-hmm. story short, we offered, we made an offer and the seller said, no, he said, we, we think we can get a, a better price for it. So we said, okay, fine. We think that's the number we, we can stick to and we moved on. Mm-hmm. So fast forward um, 
four or five months, right? Corona starts. We have the coronavirus 2020 spring. I see the deal come back on the market. So I talked to my broker. I'm like, hey, I thought this deal sold. What, what happened? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, somebody took it, um, tried to close, didn't close. So it's back on the market. So I said, well, I mean, we'd still be interested if, if the seller is willing to consider our previous price. Seller kind of shook their head, said, we'll think about it. Took about a month and a half. And they said, you know what? We will do it. But here's the deal. We don't want to close too soon. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, what do you mean? Don't close too soon. So then if you think about what was happening, right, about a year ago, or last summer, 2020, because of the pandemic, banks didn't know how to price risk. And so mm-hmm. the treasury note kind of fell off a cliff. Yeah. And so this owner had a prepayment penalty, which was pegged to the, te- the, the 10-year T-note. And because the rate had fallen so far, the 10-year treasury was trading at about 0.6%. And mm-hmm. it's typically at about like 1.3, 1.2%. His prepayment penalty was kind of the arbitrage between where his thing was and where this thing is. So he was yeah. facing upwards of a half a million dollars in prepayment penalty based on how far the 10-year T-note had fallen. So mm-hmm. he said, listen, we would do the deal, but we want to close at least four months out. We want that T-note to come back up. Correct. He wanted the yep. T-note to come back up. So I said, I mean, that's fine. Um, that's okay. And we actually wrote that into the purchase agreement. We said, mm-hmm. um, we will close in, I think it was like 120 business days. So we gave him some extra time. That's a long then, time. Yeah. And then we gave him the option to extend if at that point, like the 10-year T-note wasn't at like 0.8 or something, 0.7. So it really was kind of like we were being accommodating, but we knew the 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 price was good. And while when we said we'll accommodate this long duration, we, we did one more thing. Um, I talked to my brokers and I said, can I, is there a way that I can use more leverage on this deal? Mm-hmm. And my broker's like, yeah, there's this thing called the HUD law. I'm like, well, what's that? He's like, well, you can actually take 85% oh. of the value. Uh, actually, 85% loan to cost, which would fund any kind of repairs or anything else you want, but it does take a long time to close. So mm-hmm. and, uh, our strategy was fine. If the seller wants to go long, we'll go long. But at the same time, we're going to use this hard loan thing, which really allows us more leverage, but provides us this really great rate, right? So yeah. if anyone who's done a hard loan knows, it's restrictive. It's a pain in the mm-hmm. butt to deal with. Because their 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 inspections are way more aggressive than any kind of Fannie or Freddie inspections, yeah. and you typically are locked in for about ten years with that kind of a loan product. So your prepayment penalty, the one we did was a ten year step down, starting at ten percent, going down to one percent. So the downside of the difficulty for us was in the syndication, we had to tell our investors that expect to hold for ten years. Yeah. And I mean, at some level, we said, listen, it's the pandemic. I would rather hold for longer and know I have a really good rate than promise you the world and then not deliver. And some investors said, you know what, 10 years is a long time. We're not going to do it. But we had basically a good investor base that said, yeah, we, we, we trust it. We like it. Let's go with it. And I mean, the best part of the whole deal was I interest rate all in for this deal is 2.46% fixed for wow. 30 years. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's just really hard not to make money on that deal. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard I've heard people get low rates on HUD. That's that's the lowest one I've heard. Um, you know, some somebody, one of our our mutual friends, I think said he got a two point six or a two point eight on a HUD. You know, not too long ago. But you know, right now the the Fed target for inflation is two percent. They're estimating we're going to get about two and a half percent for the next three to four years. 
that's basically you're they're basically giving you money at that rate. I mean, it's it's not like they're charging you to take that they're they're basically paying you to take the money when you look at the the time value of money added in. So um yeah, and that one of the drawbacks, like you said, of the HUD loan, it takes an awful long time to get to, um, to get closed, uh, awful um terrible process, you know, as far as qualifying for it as well. But uh um yeah, no, it took uh, a long time. And I mean I would say this too for people that mm-hmm. are syndicating, you really have to have a lot of confidence that you can get all the investors to the table. Cause I mean at some point I got people calling me and saying, hey, is this thing happening or what? Because I mean we we have committed to you, but it's taking <laughs> it's I mean, been six uh, months. Yeah. It's been, yeah. it's been six months. It took us I think eight months from beginning to end to close that. Yeah. Um, and you you can't you can't like tell people don't go do anything else with your money right I mean it's their yeah. money so you just have to be very confident that you can close we were confident enough that I mean if the, the few people that had that kind of a question mark fell off we would be able mm-hmm. to just put up our own cash mm-hmm. um, but again I, I mean it definitely you can lose investors that way I guess is, is yeah. the lesson learned there and I want the listeners to know so yeah. the, the the long and short of it is. Not too many syndications do HUD loans for that reason. Mm-hmm. There is a, another process where you can get like a bridge loan and then do a HUD loan if you really want to, but it's more expensive. Yeah. Um, but it worked for us, and I'm extremely excited about that deal. Just yeah. now, um, whatever, five, six months into it, we are, from a, from a collections perspective and from a rent roll perspective, we're kind of like between years four and five of what we had predicted, just because we bought the deal and we found out that there's just such a shortage of quality housing up there that we were able to, I mean, people were moving out and our, our plan was to go and renovate a bunch of units and then raise rents. Well, people are saying, no, like just just give me the unit and we'll pay an extra $100, $250 more without doing anything to it. And so, yeah. I mean, so far it's been it's been one of those markets that has performed. Some of the markets we own things in, we, we are not coming close to those kinds of rent increases. Yeah. So it, it's nice when you can get your rent increases without putting the capital in. I mean, it doesn't happen often. We, we've had a couple of cases where we've been able to do that. But man, if if every property did that, this would be an easy, easy profession, but uh, right. not so easy. Anyway, last question for you before we uh, bring Nick on. Uh, what's next for you? Yeah, so um, we try to not do too many deals, actually, right? So my wife and I are the key principals of our firm. And the the purpose of starting this for us was really to get me off the road. And that really has been kind of where we stay. Um, as I was still doing my consulting role, um, some of the clients and people that I was talking to um, basically asked, hey, can we invest with you? They said, could we, I mean, we like to be, we'd like to have the exposure to real estate, but we don't want to deal with tenants, toilets, and, and trash. And you're solving that for us. So really most of the people we raised from are kind of like, our connections. Um, there's definitely new investors that come on board that hear us through podcasts or whatnot. But I think the big thing for us is to stay disciplined, right? And try to focus on not overpaying for deals, especially in this market. Yeah. Um, cap rates have compressed a ton. Um, a lot of the pricing is pretty high and we invest for cash flow. So what we try to make sure our returns come from is a healthy portion of our return comes from the cash on cash distributions. And then whatever whatever happens to valuations happens to valuations. Clearly, we force appreciation through that, but it's not something we try to rely on very heavily. So what's next for us is doing a few more deals, um, not doing too many more deals, and probably saying no to more deals than we say yes to. 
You know, I, I think that's just kind of the nature of the game right now. You know, we're we're looking at hundreds of deals every month, you know, and, you know, maybe putting in a couple of offers. And I think I think that's what a lot of groups are looking at right now. All right. That says switching gears. We're, we're going to meet Nick. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Do us a favor. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Brian and David. Great, great listening about your background there. Um, really honored to be on the podcast. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on. So a little bit about uh, myself, you know, and kind of how I got to this point where I am now. But you know, my my wife and I, we have uh, two kids. You know, a uh, four month old and three year old. So everything's kind of based based around that. But um, you know, in my uh, in my previous jobs. I was in hospitality. Now I'm in, you know, aerospace and defense. And uh, I think everything I've kind of done kind of has led me up to this real estate kind of career now. But, you know, we started off in single families, you know, buying single family homes about two years ago. And, uh, you know, it went really, really well. We purchased um, six single family homes kind of within a year or so. Um, And we did a ton of market research on different places. We ended up settling in on St. Louis, Missouri, actually. Mm -hmm. So we, we live in Los Angeles and we took that step and just said, let's, let's just do it. You know, we, I Mm kind of came from a real estate background with my family. My mom was a real estate agent. My family always kind of had real estate. I never really understood it much, but you know, I had a, had a good childhood growing up because of that, probably a little bit more. Um, And we really wanted to have that for our, for our kids as well. So we said, um, you know, let's look into this a little bit, see what we can do. Um, like I said, we did a lot of market research and we kind of landed in St. Louis and um, we found some really good little little towns in St. Louis that were producing really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had a couple challenges right at the start, but, you know, got through that and, you know, our, our assets were performing really well. But about five months ago or so, you know, we kind of came to this uh, conclusion that, you know, probably most of your listeners and, you know, you guys have come to at some point, but, yeah. um, you know, we're like, hey, we need to get out of single family and we need to get into something a little bit bigger. Um, yeah, let's, and, let's scale. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's yeah, do this on a larger, yeah, quicker scale. You know, yeah. Exactly. We, we wanted to get out of the, the nine to five game, right? We, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to work for my whole life. I want to spend time with my family, you know, like I want to be there for my family. And I guess we'll get to that a little bit later, but you know, it's at the time I didn't know about syndications, you know, I, mm-hmm. every time I heard it on the podcast, I was like, Oh, skip, because I'm like, Oh, this is so far, you know, f- so far ahead of me. I was like, you know, it's, it doesn't really apply. Like, I just want to learn more about real estate, you know, besides reading every book I could obviously, but I just really dove in. And then, you know, I, I took the, the next step to the syndication world. I wanted to, l- I learned more about it. I was on a lot of Facebook groups and all these, you know, mm-hmm. different, I listened to a lot of podcasts about it at some point as well, but the Facebook groups really got me going. And I actually, at the time met my business partner on a Facebook group who is uh, Michael, who's also in Tribe of Titans, which I yep. am as well. And, and he, he introduced us. So uh, I don't yeah, know how exactly. I met him, but he introduced the two of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we met on there. He, he was talking like really knowledgeable on there. You mm-hmm. know, I, I really like helping people. I like to teach people and I was, and I was able to teach a lot of people on, on just a short amount of time in real estate, just how to invest out of state, you know, like what to do, how to do it a little bit. Um, cause we were so successful at it because mm-hmm. we were picking up the phone and calling people, you know, talking to property managers and insurance agents and, you know, giving people our time. And, you know, we were very thankful for their time, but they, you know, they, they helped us through so much. And, you know, I was able to kind of pass that knowledge over to a lot of people that were like, Hey, I can't invest in the Los Angeles. I need to, you know, I don't know how to do this. Well, you know, this is, this is how we did it. This is how you yeah. do it. And it, it was, that was a great experience. And, and I saw Michael and I, he was talking really, you know, knowledgeable, like I said, 
And I said, Hey, you know, um, you know, I, I know St. Louis so well, we get a lot of deals. I, I have so many connections, boots on the ground already. Let's see what we can do. And Michael already has some experience with syndications and, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, let's do it. And, you know, like literally like a week later, we found, we found deal one and it was going well. The, the seller, you know, didn't, that wasn't giving us a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. So we actually ended up finding another deal almost immediately after that, which we are actually closing on this, this week we're signing documents for. So it's a 24 nice. unit about almost about $2 million, which we syndicated, got our investors, you know, met with a ton of people man, it was a lot of work, uh, way more work than I would ever, ever dream of. Yeah. But we did it all within like, you know, two months we had to do it. And yeah. I, I love it though. I mean, I loved it. So, um, and that's, that's the secret about this business. It, it is a lot of work, you know, I mean, if it was, if it was easy, they'd call it passive investing, but we're not. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, Very active. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've been been talking with, uh, you know, with your, your partner more about the deal. And it sounds like you guys have done a bang up job so far, you know, getting in our contract, due diligence, capital raise, yeah. everything else. So I'm excited yeah, to see we, how this deal goes. Yeah, we got really, we, we got a great deal and we did our webinar and literally within two mm-hmm. hours, we had our full raise. Um, we actually raised uh, almost a million dollars worth soft, soft mm-hmm. commits. And then mm-hmm. we, we didn't even have to go back to people. I mean, the, we did first come first serve the first, I think it was like eight people or whatever. They mm-hmm. all, they all signed and sent their money. And <laughs> it was, yeah. it was a dream come true. in, in that end, uh, a lot of stress, but I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, standing I mean, up till 1am working on my websites, uh, back end, you know, looking over numbers, you know, weekly absolutely. calls with Michael. I mean, it, it was crazy, yeah. but, uh, I loved it. I mean, it's much better than, you know, going to work, which I'm still doing. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's something I could get up and actually enjoy my family, you know, is, is on board. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, Nick, uh, you know, we'll bring you back on you and your, your partner back on to talk about that deal specifically. And I think that'll oh, yeah. be fun to dissect it. here on the podcast, but, um, one question for you that everybody gets on this podcast is what is your big burning? Why? Yeah. Um, man, it's, I feel like, you know, it's a reoccurring one, but you know, family and time, mm-hmm. you can't yeah. beat it. I was recently talking to someone that, um, well, my wife's a nurse, so I, she has some, some, some friends that work with some elderly people as well. And, you know, they, they always, you know, they, they talk and say, you know, what, what do you wish you had? What, what do you wish you did differently in your life? Or, you know, like, what, like just, you know, just talking, they say, you know, I wish I had more time. And yeah. it's like, man, at, at one point in my, in my career, I was driving from 7am to, you know, getting home at 6pm. And that wasn't that long ago. And, you know, going to work, driving the commute, you know, driving the, you know, 45 an hour each way and missing like, you know, a whole day. I mean, I'm, I'm working at home now, which is great, you know, never want to go back to work because I'm with my family. Um, so, you know, our, you know, our, my burning why is, you know, be there for, for my family and be able to, you know, not miss one event at school or soccer practice or dance lessons, you know, whatever it may be. And then, you know, have, you know, have that childhood, you know, for, you know, have that, um, that upbringing for my family that I was able to be lucky enough to have with my family. You know, my mom was home a lot and my dad worked a lot, but, you know, he was still around, but, you know, having someone there always, and, you know, being able to be lucky enough to be there, you know, as, as they get older and, you know, be there once, you know, each step of the way. So. Yeah, that's 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 huge. And 
<laughs> and like you said, that that's a, a recurring theme on the big burning why question. I think it's for, for really good reason. But, uh, you know, that said, Nick, we, we got David on the phone, on the phone. Um, that said, Nick, we got David on the, the call with us. Um, what do you want to ask him? Yeah, David, uh, like I said before, you know, I appreciate your story and uh, I'm sure there's more questions that I could ever think of to ask you. <laughs> um, but, you know, one, one of our since, you know, we are closing on this 24 unit, I'm going to be, you know, asset managing this. Um, and, you know, one of my main questions is, you know, what, what, what didn't you know going to that first deal that you were syndicating that you were really like, you know, you were in charge of everybody's money. You know, it's not just yours anymore. It's your investors. You know, you're responsible for getting people safely back their money if more, you know, on a timely basis. Like what, what really did you or what kind of advice do you have just to kind of get in on that first one? Yeah, no, I think um, definitely for me, what I experienced, th- th- I think there's a big difference for me when it went from just buying a deal that was ours to taking investor money and owning a deal with investors. Because yes, it's it's a different level of responsibility, right? If I lost my money, I lost my money. Um, my wife and I would have my wife and I would have words and we'll figure it out. But um, you're kind of building a reputation with this business, so I would say you have to take care of the basics, right? And I think things that people sometimes kind of miss sight of, there's there's a few expenses that are not kind of smooth, right? So there's things that are, you know, like your insurance bill, your tax bill, those pop up at on time. So make sure you have those escrowed, or at least right. make sure you're accommodating that that expense is coming. Um, similarly, make sure you have kind of your operating reserves. I think those are things that people kind of often put in their formula and say, oh, deposit to replacement reserves. Right. But Oftentimes, when you're in the hit of the moment, you don't you don't necessarily put that money away. Um, make sure you do try and put some money away, right, every month for yeah. unforeseen things. If it's a roof or plumbing repair, those kinds of things. Um, that's kind of like the basic stuff, right? Um, I would say on your first few deals and really any deal, the things that we do, right? If we have people's money in the deal, we pay ourselves last, right? So we make right. sure that we. Even even though this may not be in our legal documents, right? I make sure that everybody gets what we projected at least, right? As long as the deal is going well, get that minimum to them and maybe a bit more before you pay yourself, right? So, so just really kind of have that ownership mentality of this is a longer term business, right? So you're mm-hmm. building a reputation and... I mean, you're not going to make your money on your first deal per se, right? If if you right. if you take nothing home from that first deal and you return money to investors as promised, you're going to have a ton more deals, right? I guess I guess is the way to think about it. Yeah, very very much yeah. a reputational business, and we we've got a property where you know we haven't taken an asset management fee because you know we're 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 very close to hitting our our projections, and we want to hit the projections. So that asset management fee has gone. You know, straight to our investors. So I think that's that's we have the absolute same philosophy. You know, we want we want repeat investors more than anything. Right. Yeah, I think when you know we we've been meeting with investors. You know, since since we like figured out we want to do this. You know, um, per SEC, you know, regulations and everything, of course. But you know, meeting with investors and you know you you could talk about it all day, but you know when the day comes that you're signing on that you know dotted line, you really got to perform and. Um, I think that's my, my biggest thing, you know, cause I'm, you know, I, I love making these, you know, relationships with people and, you know, I want to deliver on what we've been, prom- you know, telling people and, you know, talking about, you know, this deal. 
we know it's a great deal. We know it's going to do well. We just, I, you know, it's just that, that, uh, you know, thing in your mind, you're like, all right, <laughs> what's going to go wrong. What's going to go wrong. You know, like trying to go through every aspect. So, um, yeah, I think having those reserves, like you said, it's going to be like, you know, the, the main thing, which, which we do have, which is, which is good. Yeah. Um, just build, build up those reserves. I mean, you can always, you can always send them back back to investors, right? But especially, I think, for a deal that is new, you kind of almost want to cycle through a whole month, I'm saying month, a whole year worth of expenses in the deal, right? So you want to make sure you understand what happens in the winter months, in the summer months, et cetera, seasons, um, before you get super comfortable. I think some people that that have a, a, a deal come through, they see the first three months of performance they're like automatically assume everything is going to be the same way for the next nine months you kind of just want to watch that a bit longer yeah, until yeah. you get the snow removal bill you know and then it's just <laughs> like i paid how much for that you know yeah exactly You're yeah, like, you, should you, i fly out there and get that done myself <laughs> yeah exactly i mean i'll buy a shovel fly out there and oh my goodness but uh yeah some some metro some areas have that on on the um have to pay for that others don't so if you're lucky you don't yeah, and and David, staying on staying on kind of this topic, and then I'll I'll get into the next one where how to grow a little bit. But, um, like, what what do you wish you did differently on your first syndication deal? Once once you got it under contract, is there anything that sticks out, or and maybe everything you did wrong worked out to be better in the end because you learned from them? But is there anything that you wish you did differently on deal one or two with investors? Um, no, I, I, we were, I guess, fortunate enough not to hit any major snags. Um, so from that perspective, no, I think you, you want to, you want to be super, I guess, diligent with your numbers. Um, and I think if anything, I could say just over communicate, right. Especially on your first deal, first few deals, just, just communicate extra, right. If, if that means, I mean, it, Every investor is kind of different. Some people like we never hear from, right? Like I sent, like I we create like this massive kind of update, and then literally like one person will respond and say thanks, or one person <laughs> will have a question. I'd rather have that than you know people are kind of guessing what happened. So for example, we closed on a deal in Mississippi this year, and since we closed, there've been two hurricanes, right? So one of one of the one of the my partners on that deal he texted and said, Hey, this, this text came from my mom. And the text is basically his mom is sending this to him saying, honey, have you talked to your property manager? There's this huge like flooding happening. And, and based on the storm, like, are you sure your building is okay? Right. And he's like, I mean, guys, if my mom is like this concerned and not sure what's going on, I'm sure other people are, we just need to send out a, a release. Right. And just say, yeah, everyone, smart. by the way, Ida happened. Just letting you know that a few bushes were knocked over, but even if it's two, three lines saying, have no fear, everything's good. Like that's better than, you know, people guessing and like, you're not saying anything. You may have not even, it may not even cross your mind, right. To say, what are people thinking about? Right. But it's better to over-communicate, I guess, is my point. Yeah, that, that makes sense. We got time for one more question. So, you know, if you got, got a silver bullet in there and you're waiting to fire, now's time. Yeah, I think, you know, how, how did you grow, grow bigger for your next one? Cause we want, we want to get bigger on our next one. You know, we want to, we want to double this one up. Um, you know, we feel pretty confident with what we're doing. Um, like what, what do you take, what steps do you take to get to that next level? Yeah. So we have a, we have a very, uh, we have a unique approach to growth. Uh, our approach to growth is don't grow too fast, <laughs> which may be counter to what many people think. 
Um, I think, um, again, I want to be very measured about the things we do, right? So um, I think we went from a 40 to a 48. We, I mean, it's not all linear. Let's double and double and double the number of units. Um, I would say you want to make sure that when you grow, you have the right people on your team to take on the growth, right? So um, if that is investor relations, right? Maybe when your first deal, you have, like you said, eight people, maybe you can communicate with those people, right? But if you grow that to, I don't know, 30 or 40 people, you may have a lot more questions to answer, right? And you don't want to start developing a reputation where people are like, well, uh, Nick and team, like they don't really get back to me, right? So you want to make sure that you grow in a very thoughtful manner. I'm not saying that that's bad. I mean, doubling, if you're doubling from a $2 million deal to a $4 million deal, that's probably fine, right? Um, I guess my point is just try to make sure that you think through the various teams and the various tasks to and make sure you can do them well. If you can do that, all of those things well, then, I mean, grow as much as you like. Um, I think the other thing too that I want to caution people is we're at this place in the market where, I mean, nobody really knows where we are in the cycle, right? It's been going up for a while. I'm not saying it's the top. I'm not saying it can't keep on going up, but like just looking at valuations, I'm starting to question some of the valuations I'm seeing. And so just try to make sure you understand what your exit strategy is, right? So um, as I speak to, to folks that are looking to invest, one of the things that I ask them is, okay, so what happens if the market turns, right? What do you do with your investment? What does that do to your projections? What, hop- what happens if the cap rates just stay the way they are, if they don't compress any further? And what happens if, of course, things continue well? You want to kind of think through all those three scenarios and make sure you have you, you kind of want to have some kind of a plan for what happens, Right. Most of what we do is we, like I said earlier, we invest for cash flow. So our plan in a down market is to just hold, right? Because if, if if we if we have positive cash oh, flow coming through, yeah. and as we can raise rents ever so slightly, not too many people will be upset if we're returning ten percent cash on cash. Um, so yeah. just think through those. Nice. All right, appreciate it. Solid, Solid advice there. All right. So last question for both of you as as we wrap up. Um, and, and David, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? The best way to, to reach us is uh, our website, which is Cape Sierra Capital. It's C-A-P-E-S-I-E-R-R-A capital.com. And while you're there, you can check out our ebook. It's the personal cash flow formula. It's Cape Sierra Capital slash cash flow. Um, and I, I answer emails as well. Yeah. And I would assume Cape and Sierra have base are, are pointing to your roots. It, there's actually a Cape Sierra in Freetown. So Freetown's the capital and Freetown mm-hmm. was used to resettle uh, slaves from the North American War of Independence. The Brits promised that any slaves that fought on the British side against the U.S. independent mm-hmm. movement would be resettled in this place in Africa where they're from. And they, they named the capital of Freetown. And there's a there's a Cape there called Cape Sierra. Um, Cape Sierra. So, yes, it is an Sierra. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's yep. something I probably wouldn't have realized without knowing your background. But uh, very, very, very great. I mean, I like it. I love the the name of the company. Uh, really shows your roots there. And and Nick, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, uh, the best way would be to go to our website. It is HudsonHallProperties.com. So H-U-D-S-O-N-H-A-L-L Properties.com. And we have a syndication guide on there. Uh, a bunch of information kind of links to our Instagram, Facebook, you know, um, all that good stuff. So there's, there's tons of ways to reach us through that website. 
All right. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much to both of you for your time today. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.